everyone and welcome to another episode of Go Out and Talk to Strangers. This is Adi, the Nomad Architect, and this is a place where I'm sharing with you ideas and inspiration, hosting founders, entrepreneurs, and extremely talented people to, to share their experience with us. And today we have Lavinia. Hey, Lavinia. Hi, thank you for having me. Sure, thank you for coming. Um, Lavinia is the managing partner of Livit, which is a co-working space and innovation hub located in Bali. It's a support ecosystem and a service provider for startups and scale-ups. They do events, trainings, and much, much more. Today, we're going to focus on the story of the hub and the unique remote skills academy they have started. So Lavinia, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, towards the end of the day here, so um, so I'm keeping energy high and really excited about this conversation. Okay, so let's talk about the hub. What's the story of Livid? So um, Livid, like most, I think, uh, kind of fascinating companies in the world, has an interesting history that went through a few different phases, right? So we haven't always been what we are today or in the way that it works today. So initially, Livit was started um, by my business partner, who's called Michael Bodekar. Um, he came to Bali in the early 2010s, um, and he was like sort of a corporate SKP, as we as we as we call it <laughs> these days, right? Yeah. Um, he was running away from the perils of the cubicle, right, or of the um, office. So familiar. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he um, he didn't miss um, all of this, like, timesheets and reports and boring meetings and all of these things from the office, but he missed the, the sort of community and um, brainstorming with people and all of these things. So... He initially started Livid as a co-living uh, community for uh, founders or people who were working on different entrepreneurial projects. And this eventually evolved into the um, ecosystem, support ecosystem that we are these days for startups and for entrepreneurs. So we're doing a lot of other things and we no longer do co-living. Mm. Um, about five years ago, the two of us um, sort of met and started to work together and we realized that we're quite aligned on our whys or our you know values and missions and everything. Um, so as he focused on a different business and returned to Europe, I um, kind of um, took over here and started leading the business and then also came up with the concept for Live It Hub Bali, which is one of the things we do under this bigger umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. um, and kind of uh, designed it and built it. Um, and um, when I mean designed, I don't only mean the the, the physical space, but also the um, you know, what we host in it, like the kind of events and uh, community activities that we have, which are a little bit on pause right now because of the pandemic, like oh, everywhere, yeah. but we hope to be back soon. Yeah. 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 I yeah. totally agree. <laughs> yeah. But uh, fortunately, a lot of the things people think of co-working spaces or um, hubs, um, and we are so much more than that. They, they, people think of this spaces as spaces, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you're just a space, if you're just real estate, then obviously you're not probably not doing very well right now during the pandemic, right? 
but we are also a, um, you know, we also do um, training and we do HR and strategic partner business services and we do recruitment and we do events, which we transitioned online and mm. we now do a remote skills academy. So we do so many things that, um, yes, that part of the business is a little bit on hold, but everything else has been um, going even uh, more um like being even more accelerated than normal during the pandemic so oh my god i can imagine like if there's one thing that it's um you know booming right now is uh, remote work and since you're coming from a nomadic background and you're familiar with this world then all of a sudden all the companies that has to shift very quickly they need your expertise to do so Let's talk a bit about the community aspect. What makes it more than a co-working space? But how do you get the sense of community? Um, we're actually lucky because we have a wider community than just the the people that come to work at Livid Hub Bali during the day. Um, because there's been so many people that have gone through our programs, through our acceleration retreats, through our... Um, you know, have been in Bali and co-worked for a few months or have been here for uh, different reasons or that we have actually connected with completely virtually and some of them might have never met. <laughs> All of these people can be part of our community, right? They can access our events online. They can um, access our Slack groups or our Facebook groups that we have for specific parts of, of, of this community and so on. So, um in a way, that's the, the great thing about remote work. Um, so that I would say that our community is more about sharing common interests, sharing, mm -hmm. you know, um, how to lead a great life, right? Or how to build businesses um, or how to um, work on yourself, right? Personal development and how to find new, interesting, innovative ways of um, doing things, both professionally and personally and so on. So I would say things like this are probably more important than where, where people are located physically. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that both we, we can have a pretty big community, right? Um, and then it's more than just we happen to be here in the same space at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. And I can imagine there are some kind of like collaborations and things that are being involved between like the, the community members. Um, can you share one? Absolutely. I'm literally now just off a call um, that is happening every week. It's called Livid Sharing is Caring. Hmm. Um, it's basically a Skillshare. So um, we have a couple um, that are fitness coaches um, and they train people on how to be fit, but they also train coaches on how to train other people to be fit. So there's almost like a meta level there. <laughs> um, and they're great. And they were our members last year for a couple of months. Um, and we did lots of great events with them um, when they were here physically. Um, and now they are, they are on the other side of the island about an hour and a half away. And they just spoke to us for an hour about how to stay fit during the, the um, this challenging time, right, during the pandemic and mm -hmm. how um, moving and staying um, in shape is actually really helping you not only physically, but it helps you to deal with uh, anxiety and with everything that this sort of, um, yeah, 
global crisis that we're in right now brings along. So, so yeah, so that's a very timely time for you to ask me about that. We <laughs> literally just got off that call. <laughs> wow, that that's so useful. I bet. Yeah, it's only in time of in times of lockdown or when the borders are closed, we realized how much movement is meaningful in our life, both physically and mentally. I can tell you as a creative, moving is really big part of inspiration for me. I need to change the atmosphere so often. And sometimes I have to do it within my own apartment. I just change the furniture. I just, you need something to be a bit different. It kind of like gets your, your mind to, I don't know, evolve, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, looking back at like it's been how many years since you started the hub? Um, so we had a soft launch in uh, mid twenty eighteen. So that would be about um, two years ago, um, and then a couple of months later, we had the public opening. Mm-hmm. But I had Brilliant. been working on it about a year before that. So now, if you had to go back in time and do something different, what would you do? Learning from your journey. Mm, that's a very good question. Um, I would say I would give myself kinder deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, so actually what happened with the hub, and I think... Uh, you might have, uh, I don't know if you're going to feature a few images or like people can see it through our website or something. Mm-hmm. But um, so it was, it used to be a, a factory, a uh, clothing factory. Um, mm-hmm. Some would say it was a glorified sweatshop because I don't think working conditions were great. This was um, a company that was exporting uh, clothing mm-hmm. and it was the type of clothing that you sort of expect David Bowie or Prince or somebody to wear like very <laughs> shiny, very you know, Glam. in your face. Mm-hmm. The the type of I've arrived outfit sort of thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so they had been out of business for about four years at the moment that we took over the building, um, and it was basically just a collection f- for three and a half floors three floors covered and one rooftop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a collection of big holes, as you would expect in a factory, right? Uh, very few and tiny uh, bathrooms. Um, so basically, um, I went in and changed everything, like ripped apart the, the entire building, put new plumbing in, created bathrooms, kitchen, um, showers, um, uh sort of we put um, land connections through the floor, right? So we have great Mm -hmm. um, land connections for um, at least one of the floors and created Skype rooms. One of them I'm in right now, actually. Um, Great acoustics, I must say. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And um, and, uh, a quiet room for naps and prayers and meditation and all of these things. Um, so basically, the moment we broke ground, so this was not a renovation, this was almost like a reconstruction. And from the moment I, we broke ground until we walked into the building, it was four and a half months. And I would definitely not do that again. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> very stressful. And I, I don't know what's the mentality there, but I bet um, local people in Bali, it's not exactly Japan. 
you know, uh, like being on time, uh, doing everything as promised. Um, rural places, not so rural, but, you know, this kind of countries tend to have more abstract concept of time. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Bali is very interesting because it, it, it almost feels like time is a chewing gum. Sometimes it expands and sometimes it, you know, constricts. And, um, and it's very interesting because I was actually talking to a friend of mine that actually builds this really interesting properties like nests in trees where people can like sleep Ooh. and stuff like that. Um, and um, we were both agreeing on the fact that certain things that you think will take three days can take two months, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then you're like, wow, we're never going to finish this. But then other things that you would think would take three months all of a sudden get done, right? So you kind of like <laughs> balance out that timeline. Um, huh. For example, I had a um, <laughs> the last thing we, before we moved in, at, at which point I was like so tired and just wanted it to be done. The last crisis that we had, because of course, <laughs> doing a project like this, you have a number of them, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's a given. Was that I wanted to have, because we have so many people that work with almost like deep tech, right? And they have a lot of monitors and they have a lot of cabling and they have all these things. I didn't want that to be on the floor because uh, it gets so messy, right? So um, mm -hmm. I wanted all of this sort of basically the electricity to go through the legs of the tables and to mm -hmm. have um, power outlets on the table. That means you can keep the floors tidy, right? And clean and nice. Um, yeah. But that meant that the guy that was doing the floors had to really give the right numbers to the guys doing the furniture and the other way around. Um, so 48 <laughs> hours before the opening, they show up with the furniture and um, the holes in the uh, granite tiles on the floor are in a completely different place than where the oh, legs no. of the tables are going. <laughs> but like by 30 oh. centi or something like that. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> so, what did you do? So I looked at it and I was like, there's no way we're going to make this right to the opening. Like I probably kind of have to push it or something. Um, and then I called the contractor and he had saved a few tiles and then he called somebody else that might have had that shade and it, and then it just happened so in 36 Ooh. hours we basically replaced a part of the floor which is like yeah granite like wow. tiling is not easy right to take out and to put back in and mm -hmm. at 8 a.m on the day of the soft launch we were ready <laughs> amazing incredible that's yeah. a great story Sometimes things <laughs> magically happen um, to fit the time. That's the thing. That yeah. really is the thing about Bali. And I really love it. It's one of the things I love it about. I love about here, right? The fact that you need to release expectations and you need to add these buffers and everything. But sometimes, um, sometimes things just happen, right? And, mm -hmm. and they just come together and then it ends up being okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it, I feel like release expectations, it's probably like the headline of this time nowadays with this crazy times around the world. Um, but you did something very unique during this time. You had the Remote Skills Academy project that already started before, but it kind of like scaled into a different level. So I really want to discuss 
it and how you got there and what was the response and let, let's just talk about it. Yeah. Okay, so, so tell me, when did it begin? Yeah, we actually did a, a, a lot of things that we can talk about, um, not just the academy, because um, I think it's, it's in a way it's important to talk about how when times like this come about, there's always a way out. I like to think that there's always a way forward, even if momentarily it's a few steps backward, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. um, so you can imagine that a hub that 20, 30 people work for, right, including cleaning and kitchen and everything, it comes to hold, right? Like it just stops, everything is quiet um, and you don't know when you're going to be able to reopen and everything, right? So... Yeah. What I did is that I just sat at the at the drawing table, basically, um, which doesn't look like yours, but <laughs> like a lot less. My drawings are a lot less sophisticated than yours. But, um, but yeah, so and then I said, OK, what do we have? What can't we change right now? And how can we move from here? Right. So mm-hmm. what we did was. Um, a number of things actually. So uh, we have always been doing um, training um, for for a long time now, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, For some time, uh, a few of us, for other times, more of us. And I just realized that so many people that are transitioning to remote right now, both companies and individuals need the kind of knowledge that we have. and even people who work in our team who have completely other very important and useful jobs can now because the, the, you know they, they don't they don't have those tasks that normally they would do mm-hmm. can probably be repositioned retrained to facilitate and to train and to host events online so that's one of the things we did so we have a few team members that have started training or facilitating or uh, moderating as of a few months from now, uh, which is helping us with the academy and is helping us with things like sharing is caring, skill shares and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, we have also thought uh, how we can help people stay productive because that's one of the things we do with co-working. So we, we launched this um, product that was called uh, Premium Work From Home. So um, mm. you could get like a nice chair, like an ergonomic chair and lunch delivered and all of these things. So basically have your own co-working space without actually seeing people because that was not the right time to do so, right? Um, And then, so we looked at all of these types of things where we said, okay, how can we keep everybody? And I'm very happy to say that we've managed to keep everybody employed at full salary for all of this month. And we will probably be able to do that going forth as well. That's incredible. And how can we not just keep everybody doing not much, but like sort of give um, all of these projects that we're doing and all of these things like invest in upskilling and retraining and um, and helping people learn new things and come out of the mm-hmm. pandemic with a bunch of new things that you know. How amazing is that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So one of the things that you were asking me about and that, Actually, um, I have thought of before the pandemic, a few months before, but things were so hectic with real life physical things that I never really fully got to it, was um, doing a, an academy, a training program that teaches remote skills um, for, uh, for Indonesians, specifically for the Balinese. And the reason mm-hmm. for that was that 
since I moved here, Bali became one of the top spots for digital nomads in the world. Actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Changu, which is on the other side of Bali from here, is the number one destination for digital nomads in the world. Um, mm. So it is the place to be for digital nomads, probably together with Chiang Mai and Barcelona and a couple more, but it definitely tops all of this lists, right, in normal times. And um, so you've got all of this digital nomads, location independent entrepreneurs, um, remote workers, however we want to call um, them mm -hmm. and ourselves, um, having this amazing lives because this is what Bali is, right? Like you, you get your nice surf and your yoga and your Zumba class and your amazing smoothie bowls and granolas and then you squeeze in a bit of work. And then um, you have so much help, right? Like you don't do your laundry, mm -hmm. you don't clean, you don't do any of these things, uh, which allows you to have so much more extra time, right? Than if you lived yeah. in a big city and everything. And I was like, this is great. But then how about the locals? Because where they're left at is that they are in mostly tourism-based jobs, which are quite seasonal, which are extremely mm -hmm. demanding schedule wise right so usually working yeah. six days a week um working um because usually in tourism areas when it's when it would normally be weekend or holiday time for most people that's peak time right so it's yeah. almost like yeah. it never switches off right like it's never really off mm -hmm. um yeah. so and then on top of that not great salaries as you could expect right so mm -hmm. a minimum salary here which is what a lot of people unfortunately work for is uh in the ballpark of 200 dollars a month wow that's very low and is it enough to live for them it is enough if you're from bali and you have a house in the family mm -hmm. compound um and you are very careful obviously like you really do eat sort of the the cheap food and the do those yeah. things right um so it's livable especially if it's du dual income right like if both people are working in some shape or form let's say it's a family um i yeah. think if you are even if you're indonesian and you're from outside of the island because i think bali has in a way many more opportunities than other islands yeah that's mm -hmm. not enough because you have to pay some kind of rent or share an apartment or something, mm -hmm. right? So basically, when I looked around, I saw two very different worlds, right? Um, and it's actually very symptomatic of what happens in Bali. Everything is two worlds, mm -hmm. right? Like you've got co-working spaces for foreigners and you've got co-working spaces for locals. You've got um, malls that foreigners prefer and most that locals prefer, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then you've got destinations, even tourist destinations and places where people hang out that are preferred by one or the other. And it's not a segregation in the way that you wouldn't be allowed to go in the other places, but it's quite clear, right, who, who goes where. Mm -hmm. And there are very few places that actually mix um, and blend those audiences. Um, and I have been very adamant and livid about that not being the case, like I really, really want us to have a diverse environment. Um, and we have gone quite great lengths to, to, to make that happen. And I'm happy to report that that is the case. And so we have 60 to 70% locals, I think normally, um, as members, long-term members. And then they also themselves come from a variety of 
Indonesia is such a huge place, right? So they come from different parts of Indonesia, different islands, different religions, even different languages, right? And and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's a very diverse. That's fascinating. So how do you think you manage to to combine them to to create this kind of inclusive invitation, not only for foreigners? Because I guess price is a factor there, um, and they have to feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Price is a factor. We offer a huge discount for for locals. And also the other thing that we do is that we work with companies that employ both. Oh. So employ um, locals and employ foreigners as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Yeah. The the nomads are very likely to be foreigners pretty much everywhere. Like it doesn't matter if you're in Bali or somewhere else. But the people who live there more long term, like that's a different audience that you can tap into. Okay, I see. So going back to the to the academy, like that that was that that was my frustration, right? Looking around and seeing that, and I'm a very I, I'm a very big believer in when you are in a different country, not just taking from there and not just taking advantage of what's happening and being a little bit like in your own bubble and a bit deaf and blind to local realities. Um, And I think if you come here and you're here for two, three weeks or two, three months or even six months, I think in a way that's, you know, what most people do, you're not going to go very deep into learning about the country Mm -hmm. and the people and everything. But if you're here for a longer time, like, like I am, um, I think, you know, like, you should look at um, those things and see how you can contribute and how you can give back. So, um, Basically, in um, in February, we actually launched this um, the first course of the academy, which was a virtual assistance course. Mm-hmm. And then we promoted it. We had it in April. We only spent about twenty dollars on promotion, <laughs> and then it was full. Like the class was full, um, and. Now we have just launched three more courses for the wow. summer. Well, the Northern Hemisphere summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the winter. Oh, like how many people are in one class? Just to get an um, idea. We uh, aim to not take more than 20. So okay. to have between 10 and 20 for the class, mm-hmm. because we believe that if you just want to take, for example, a project management course, you can go and take it on Coursera, right? But what we're doing is we're doing this mentorship. We're teaching this classes live. There's a real person talking to you and answering your questions and everything. So obviously we want to have classes that are not too big, right, for that. Mm -hmm. And I guess for the future, there is a question about maybe automating a part of it, right, having some recordings and then having a Q&A with a real person and all of those things. But for now, that's, that's kind of where we are. Okay, and how was it? Like, let's say the first, um, the first class. So it was, um, yeah. So we had them for three weeks. Um, we were initially actually planning to have some uh, physical sessions at the hub because mm-hmm. I think if you're just starting to learn to work remotely, maybe it would be nice to see real people that guide you and you know help you every now and then while having some online sessions so you immerse yourself into remote work as well but with the pandemic that didn't happen so we had to kind of push everybody into a very intense online um, schedule Um, I think it was great Um, we learned a lot I think they learned a lot and we learned a lot and I think that's um, 
that's always one of the goals in a way, right? To to come mm-hmm. out of that with a little bit more knowledge and experience that you you came in, even if you are the one that's teaching, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I think it was one of those times where I really saw the Livid team coming together and mm. just finding creative solutions for everything and really putting so much passion in hosting these people and making them feel part of something even if we were all spread across the island or the country mm-hmm. or multiple countries mm. it wasn't sponsored right that like participant had to pay in order to get the, into the program they had to pay but the fee was for a almost full month course was around 23 um so what we wanted okay. to do with that is we wanted to see that people are committed um, and you're more likely to be committed if you pay for something. The real cost Absolutely. of offering a course like that is probably around $120 per person, right? Because you have so much of this like consultations and interaction and everything is not just something that you record it and you can play in there, right? Um, mm-hmm. So basically what we did is that we sponsored ourselves, right? We donated our time. Uh, but mm-hmm. we really, I was very adamant about having a fee because we've done in the past, we even did a coding boot camp over a weekend and we did augmented reality, which is usually very expensive to study mm-hmm. uh, and web development, which is also quite expensive to take a course. And we did it for free. And half of the people that um, got the, like we put out, uh, we put out 30 slots, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then we capped it and then we didn't accept you know, more people. Yeah. So half of the people that actually confirmed and booked their slide didn't show up, oh. which means that they also took the spot as some, somebody else, right? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's really important to have this commitment, even if you pay a little bit. Yeah. Which is, it's not so little. Yeah. So I was like, we don't, yeah, we don't do this for free anymore. Um, we also said in the application form that if you really want to participate to this and you really cannot cover that fee, uh, we had some uh, scholarships mm-hmm. from a, a few donors that were willing to pay for that. But I was thinking even just connecting those people, right, and saying, okay, this person's going to pay for you, right, will um, increase a little bit the commitment, but it turned out that people were actually okay to pay that uh, twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, and I think you mentioned in uh, in our previous conversation that you even have some foreigners that want to yeah. to join to the upcoming <laughs> the upcoming programs, which is it's 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 crazy. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a very divisive topic, I think, uh, because uh, we are obviously doing mm-hmm. this for Indonesians, right? And um, and we would not charge $20 or $30 or $100 for a longer or small, more specialized program if we were doing this for money, obviously, right? So, so in a way, our target and who we really want to focus on is Indonesians, um, specifically Balinese, but also wild, like more um, widely um, um, Indonesians. So um, we actually in the in the first course we had two foreigners that are studying here and are um, basically have a residence here and have scholarships and they're really not in a position of having like lots of money or being this like I don't know digital nomad that makes mm-hmm. thousands of dollars a month or something you know and then 
taking the course for that price, they were in a bit of a different situation. Um, and that worked okay as well. Um, for the future, what we've decided to do is to um, um, sort of cap the number of foreigners that we can have in any group at maximum 20% and then just um, charge them a different price if they really want to to attend. I love the fact that you're not saying no. You're like, okay, come in, but then you have to pay a bit more and maybe sponsor a different um, person while doing that. I think that's a very fresh way of thinking of things. Exactly. I think the, the academy is not right now, and I don't think it's ever going to be uh, something that makes money. It's more about like mm -hmm. if we do charge these people more, we're able to give a scholarship or we're able to give a better price to somebody else or to give a better price in general, right, for for uh, yeah. Indonesians. Mm -hmm. I just love the, the impact aspect of, of, the, of Live It, uh, because I think it's so important when you live in a different country and, you know, you, you start this project, which is really for, like, not every person uh, to be part of. But then taking some of the time, some of the skills and the energy to actually give back to the place and, and kind of like share the knowledge. And I can only imagine the opportunities that people are going to have thanks to the Remote Skills Academy, because all of a sudden they have the opportunity to earn a salary that is not based on their location. It can completely change their life. Yeah, it's opening up a whole world of opportunities. Um, and they might not be as safe as a traditional job right in the way that you don't have this sort of monthly employment or whatever but you might work your way towards that right so many companies are hiring remotely now and the really great thing that i would love more of them to see is to to, to do and i would love to see is actually creating businesses online mm -hmm. right so actually one of the next courses that we're doing is online business Ooh. management because we've realize that, for example, there are, I don't know, guest houses or spas or whatever who even want to just get a little bit of cash flow right now during the pandemic and they would like to put out some, I don't know, some vouchers or something for next year just to get some money in or whatever. But they might not know how to do that, like how to create that website, how to put a booking page, how to allow people to pay or all of these mm -hmm. things, right? So I'm thinking in sort of small steps, like what if you have a craft business, mm -hmm. right? Like you're making, I don't know, jewelry or something. Why not put that online and try to sell it or, you know, all of those things. So, um, so I think really where it's at for me with this academy is adapting to new realities of work, giving people a chance to do that. And then really where I'd love to see it go is basically build amazing careers and live life on their own mm. terms because that's really you know the core of a lot of mm -hmm. things and your connection with me you know and, yeah. and, and everything yeah. else living life on your yeah, own terms yeah yeah of course absolutely that would be the best case scenario if i can imagine a place that has digital nomads or entrepreneurs coming to live there that would be the, the best case scenario to have some of this knowledge shared and truly impact the lives of others. It sounds really amazing. I bet you had to, to overcome some challenges along the way. Can you share one? Specifically about the academy or in general about the hub or... Yeah, about the academy. Um, 
Well, it's fairly new. It's only a few months. So I think, well, one of the, I can be very, uh, very honest here. And for example, now we're taking signups for the next course. And one of the things that just happened this week is that we have quite a few signups, but people who signed up, which means they went through a pretty um, long application form and everything, some of them don't get back to us, right, when we're calling them or when we're trying to get in touch with them. And it's actually something we're trying to still figure out, you know, is it because the email goes to mm -hmm. spam or they're busy or they've lost interest for whatever reason or what is going on. Um, so it's things like this. Um, I think also when we decided to do everything online, uh, it became obvious that we will need a sort of platform um, to host all of these things. So we had to look at a few different yeah. things and we ended up um, doing at least this first courses on Mighty Networks. Um, our our um, senior business developer actually sort of discovered it and tested it and um, and brought it into into the project. Um, but yeah, so there's been a few a few challenges like that and I think going forward the big challenge is, do we want to scale this and how do we do it without losing that, you know, human touch and all of these things? Mm -hmm. Would you say there is a culture gap? There are huge culture gaps um, on multiple levels. Um, and I think why we did quite well with that, with that is because I actually really wanted most of the sessions to be taught by Indonesians. And we've managed to make that happen. So we worked for the first course, we worked with a uh, professional VA, actually, who's Indonesian and has multiple clients. And I think it's really important to provide this role, role models, right? Like this is a chance for people to get in touch with role models and to believe that it's possible and that also somebody among them has done it. And it's, you know, like it's, it, it's possible. That's so important. That's a brilliant idea. Because sometimes with nomads, there's this feeling of otherness, right? Of course. They're there doing their cool things, not only in Bali, <laughs> in other places as well, right? But sure. who knows, like, you know, we don't know how to get there, right? So basically sort of bridging that gap. Um, and then we had a number of our team members, like, for example, our marketing and community manager. He taught social media. He's really good at it. Um we had our people operations and legal and finance teach um, how to, you know, register yourself as a freelancer. What are the things that you have to think about? Tax, mm -hmm. you know, th things like that. Um, so I think a majority of the classes were actually taught by an Indonesian. Uh, and we're trying to do the same for the next courses as well. Um, so we have some uh, foreign trainers, including me, but we are trying as much as possible to have yeah. to bridge that gap through uh, facilitating in a in, in in a way that that feels very inclusive and very Indonesian. That's a great answer. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, um, so we're coming to an end and I'm going to share all the links to uh, Livet website and you to your LinkedIn profile so everyone can connect with you and learn more about the project. I want to thank our listeners uh, for being with us today and for your constant feedback. It means a lot to me. Keep sending me emails and messages. I absolutely love it. Okay, so we have one final question. Uh, this is a question that I'm asking all of my guests and it's called the wild napkin. Are you in? I'm in.
Great. <laughs> okay, so imagine uh, you're going to a bar. Okay. It's a beautiful tropical bar since you're living in Bali. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you, you have a couple of drinks and your mind is very, very free. And all of a sudden you have the craziest idea. So you take a napkin and you write it down. And the next day you find it in your pocket. What would it say? So it could be anything. There is no time or money limit. Just your wildest, craziest idea. So we're mostly looking for rhetorical, right? Like a sort of um, not really taking into consideration any limitations, right? Like not something that no. could actually happen. Everything is possible. Uh, you just met this millionaire person and he's like, oh, Lavinia, what's your crazy dream project, thought, idea, wish? No limitations. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, I'm going to say something that I'm actually taking steps towards doing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really something that I would love to do and something that will take a lot of work. But um, but it really means a lot to me and it's something I've been thinking about. Um, and it sort of came up like that in that way that you're describing. Um, so I'm from Romania and uh, Transylvania is part of Romania is beautiful area uh we're not all vampires though um um, although i'm really pale and i have fangs so a lot of people make that assumption (laughs) joking um so it's really really beautiful and very um rich historically Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of um historical properties there um like small uh, former castles and manors and things like that and i would love um to turn, I have a passion for um, cultural heritage preservation, um, and I also have a passion for entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial types. But we also tend to run ourselves ragged, <laughs> <laughs> so like be so passionate about what we do that we have like two burnouts every decade or something. Oh yeah. Right? Um, so I would love to combine those two mm. and turn a uh, turn a manor or a small castle in Transylvania into a uh, retreat for entrepreneurs where you can just go and, you know, like take it down a few notches and just take beautiful walks in nature and detox and declutter and potentially meet other people that are, uh, you know, might um, have some interesting insight and have some amazing food, um, potentially do some art therapy um and yeah yeah. so that would i think that would be it wow i absolutely love it and i will definitely come there (laughs) (laughs) and and you know what lavinia um the best part about it is that you're already started there is this quote let's see if i get it right uh it says something like the distance between dreams and reality is called action Right. Because only when we're taking active steps into kind of like adjusting our path to the, to the life that we, we really want to live, then when we can create our own unique way. And it seems like you're on the right track. So um, thank you for sharing it and thank you for being with us today. I loved having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is all mine. All right, everyone. So until the next time, 
go out and talk to strangers. Have a beautiful day. Thank bye you. Bye bye.